If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 69. Psalm 69. Psalm 69. Yes, sir. This is a Psalm of David. And it is written in the midst of great affliction. Any of y'all ever gone through a hard time? The Bible doesn't relate to me. <laughs> you ain't reading real closely. <laughs> I want you to listen to this language, the imagery, the pictures that are presented. Sometimes God, through His inspired Word, can give words to the things that we're going through in a way that we can't express it. Particularly us men folk. Y'all real good about talking about your emotions? <laughs> we can be trained a little bit, but that's not our natural skill, right? And so you may recognize some things within this. And so I want to read it through first as if you are the person crying out to God, okay? That'll be our first crack at it. Like I told him during the prayer service, got a big topic on my mind, and it's this psalm, but there's a lot in it. Um, so it may go into an afternoon service. We'll see. Verse 1. It's going to start to paint a picture. Right? Got your em empty canvas in your mind of what is this, this word picture that's going to be painted? Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. You don't have that that word picture that he's painting here. Imagine you're walking in to this river, right? And it keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. You ever stood in a strong current? If you got a good spot to stand, what can you do? You can kind of brace against it. You kind of feel like you got it. You've got no brace here. You're sinking down into the sand and the mud and the muck, and you can't fail the bottom. You're getting lower and lower and the water is getting higher. That overflowing, that's to gush over. And we're not talking cool, placid. I mean, imagine, you know, y'all ever been whitewater rafting? You ever seen those rapids? The whitewater? Imagine that's what's crushing over your head. That's the scene that he's painting here, using these words to describe what's going on in his life. And who can he cry out to? Does he have something that he can do on his own? No. He cries out to the one who can deliver him. He's crying out, Oh, save me! Oh, God! The waters are coming into my soul, into my life. My breath are filling my lungs. I'm in deep mire. That's muck. That's the sand. That's where you ever got so deep and sunk that you can't lift your feet back out. Your boots come off. Okay, well, what happens when your feet get stuck and they don't come up again? Right? You can't find the bottom. 
Where there's no standing, there's no foundation, there's no firmness. I am come into deep waters where the floods, they overflow me. Okay. That's your word picture. Describe what's going on with the psalmist as he's writing this. That's, that's describing you and me when we're just overwhelmed. That's what's literally overwhelmed to be completely whelmed with something, to be covered over with afflictions and trial. Verse 3 I'm weary of my crying. This is a different illustration. I'm so worn out from being upset by what's going on. I'm tired of crying. Now whether I've lost all the ability to cry or my body is just shaking and I just can't do it anymore. You know, my throat is dry. And that word dry means burning. You ever have just your, your throat's been burned and parched from crying out to God and crying. You're just so upset. I'm just, I can't do it anymore. It didn't make any difference, right? Didn't change the situation, but that's what you're crying. You're upset. Mine eyes fail. They get darkened while I wait for my God. I've, I've called out for him and he hasn't answered yet. My eyes fail. I've, just, I've run out of tears. It feels like the world is just going dark. If you go back into that river with verse 4. Imagine there are those just lying in the river, laughing and cheering. That's the picture in four. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs on my head. Google it. Average person has about 100,000 hairs. More than that. Huge number of those who, who hate me, not because I've been a jerk, but because without a cause. Right? If you're faithfully trying to serve the Lord, you will have those who hate you. Scripture teaches that. They, they hated your master. How did they treat him? They falsely accused him and they murdered him. Right? Because the natural man or carnal mind is at enmity with God. And the only reason you're not still at enmity with God is by the grace of God alone. And so if you love the Lord today, give God all the praise. But if the world hates you, don't be surprised. And so it's bad enough that you're there in the river and things are just overwhelming it. There are those who actively are cheering your demise. They're there on the sideline. There's more, and there's more than you can count, more than the hairs on your head. They that would destroy me, destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully. Again, the idea is that I didn't do anything to them. It's one thing if somebody is your enemy when you've gone and you've stolen their stuff or stabbed them in the back or, or, or you've done something to provoke it. But the idea is that even in your righteousness, as you're trying to serve faithfully, you will have those who hate you without a cause, wrongfully. My enemies, they're mighty. Naturally, there is strength. The world naturally will be stronger than you individually. Be stronger than us collectively as individuals and as us uniting together. The world can stomp us on our faces. Right? If that's what we're dependent upon of, of our, our might, we're going to lose. They're mighty. Here's a hint. We're not, we're not dependent on us. right? Then I restored that which I took not away. Now, under the Old Testament law, if you stole something... You had to not only give it back, but you had to give back some more, right? Somebody said, well, that's mine. And those that are stronger than you are mine, you're saying, well, 
give it back to us. And you're like, no, it's really not. Here he's saying that I even gave back that which I didn't take. Right? O God, Thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from Thee. There's two, two ideas up here. You know I didn't provoke this. You know I didn't take those things, and yet I'm still being hated without charge. I'm still um, returning that which you know I, I didn't take. And yet, Lord, You still know all my sins. You know my errors. They're not hidden from You. Right, but I'm still crying out for you to save me. Oh God, save me. Let not them that wait on thee, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Lord, there are others who are depending upon you. Don't let them be ashamed either because of something I've done or as they're watching me in this distress, don't let them be ashamed because you haven't delivered me. Lord, I'm crying out for you. Don't let them be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that let not those that seek thee be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel. Why? Because for thy sake I'm born reproach. It's like I'm trying. I'm serving you. And because I'm faithfully serving you, I'm born reproach. That's that's when people are casting their teeth at you, right? They're 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 being spiteful. Shame hath covered my face. I've borne disgrace. Shame. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. There is a division that happens in following the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot have the same unity you had with old friends, with old family members, who, whoever else, if they're not following the Lord, it cannot be the same. And it won't be. If you're faithfully serving God, they will see the difference in you. And for some, it will be a cutting off. For some, it will be attacking you. We heard about Brother Danny's testimony about when he started to become a preacher and was licensed. His father, who hated the Lord at that time, actively worked against it, threatened to throw him out of the house if he continued down that path. I mean, just blatant. Okay, I have become a stranger unto my brethren. My relations, my friend, an alien unto my mother's children, my own literal brothers and sisters. I've become an alien. For your sakes, O Lord, I've been doing this. Save me! For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. I am am passionate about the Lord. I'm passionate about His house, about serving Him. And the reproaches of them that reproach thee. Alright? Who's the thee? The Lord. The reproaches of them that hate me and hate the Lord, who are reproaching the Lord, they've fallen upon me. Right? If somebody's dogging you for for loving the Lord and trying to faithfully do it and taking a stand for His Word, they really are not hating you. They're displaying their hatred for the God of this universe. Right? And rebelling against Him and saying, I am my own master. I don't serve you. You, you, you don't outrank me. Right? It's an illusion. But you'll get the blowback. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting. He's describing how he's been diligent and and zealous for the house of the Lord. I wept and chastened my soul with fasting. That was to my reproach. What was the response of those around him? This person is upset over sin and grieving over sin. He's fasting to chasten his soul. Why Why do you fast? Why do we fast, right? The fasting is to have some form of discomfort in our bodies 
So that we think about the sins that were there in our life and to chasten ourselves a little bit. Now, can we chasten ourselves so that everything goes away? No, right? That's not the point. The point is Jesus Christ made you clean, but you fast as it gives you additional reason to think about and consider what He's done and who you are and who He is, right? But even as you're trying to do that, weeping and mourning over sins, fasting, going about trying to serve your Lord, what's the result is those around you, they they reproached you. They hated you. They think you're an idiot. Right? Sorry to use strong language, kids. I made sackcloth also my garment, and I became a proverb unto them. So sackcloth, at, at, at that point, when you are just outwardly displaying mourning, you take off your nice, fancy, soft clothes, and you put on the equivalent of a rough burlap sack. Right? You sprinkle ashes on your head. It's, I'm sitting in sackcloth and ashes. It's I am just humbling myself as physically as much as I can before the Lord, recognizing how far short I am. And, said, and the re- reaction to those around me is, I became a proverb. I became the butt of the joke. I'm the village idiot that everyone's making fun of. Right? They that sit in the gate speak against me. Those that sit in the gate are those that are held in high esteem. That's where uh, judgments were given in the cities. That's where they would have public sales of real estate. Like the, the uppity-ups within the community sat in the gate. They're making fun of him. They speak against me. You're trying to serve the Lord. They're mocking you, right? I was the song of the drunkards. Like Even the lowliest of lowly in the community, they're making fun of me too. Okay, These are all describing those enemies that are without comfort. There's no one within the world itself. And when I say world, I mean... Uh, unbelievers, those who are not trying to follow the Lord, there's no one who is going to naturally love you and pat you on the back for your zeal for the Lord. Okay? They that sit in the gate speak against me, and I was the song of the drunkards. But, all that's going on, but, as for me, my prayer is unto thee, O Lord, in an acceptable time. O Lord, in the multitude of thy mercy, hear me. And in the truth of thy salvation, Lord, I'm still praying for you. I'm praying to you right now. I'm praying that, Lord, in your good time, whatever that is, Lord, continue to allow me to go through this as long as you need me to. But in your good time, O Lord, and that Lord all all caps is Jehovah, my, my eternal God, O God, the almighty God, in the multitude of thy mercy, hear me. In the truth, of thy salvation. Who is going to save him? Him alone. Deliver me out of the mire. We're back in that river where your, your feet are sinking out from underneath you and the water is crushing. Deliver me. Pull me out. Let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the water flood overflow me. Neither let the deep, the abyss, swallow me up. Let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. Remember that story where the, the disobedient children of Israel who tried to take it upon themselves to be priests, you know, how did God deal with them? He had opened up the mouth of the earth, right? They all fell in him. It's a good illustration of, of having the, the pit closing upon you. He's saying, don't, don't let that happen. Don't let me be destroyed. Let me not be ashamed. Deliver me. I am in such affliction. Such pain, such sorrow. But my prayer is still unto thee. He's not bitter. He's not wrathful. He's not angry. 
Lord, you've abandoned me. Not making foolish charges. Not like Job's wife who just said, just, just curse God and die, right? Deliver me in your good time. In the multitude of thy mercy, hear me. Does the Lord have a multitude of mercy? Yes. yes. That, a multitude means an abundance. The superabundance of mercy. In that, hear me. Down in verse 16. Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. He's not pleading because I'm so good. Lord, save me because you're so good. And your love for me is so good. Save me according to your nature and your glory and your honor and your power. Lord, save me. Hear me. For your loving kindness is good. Loving kindness. Oh, that's a great word. I'll just meditate on that word this week. The Lord's loving kindness. The loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Hide not thy face from thy servant. For I am in trouble. Hear me. Speedily. Draw near unto my soul and redeem it. Save it. Right? To redeem somebody is they have been sold into something and there's a price that has to be paid to pull them out of that. Pay that price for me. Deliver me. Deliver me because of mine enemies. Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before thee. He said, Lord, deliver me for your sake, for your glory. Deliver me. For their sake. For how wicked and vile they are. You know what they are. You know what they've done to one that you love. Deliver me so you can get glory. Because God's going to get His glory. He will get His glory in His mercy that He shows to His children. And He will get His glory in His righteous wrath that He will show to the wicked. He will get His glory. Thou hast known my reproach. He's seen it. Right? The Lord says, vengeance is mine. You don't have to get vengeance for yourself here. That's, that's not your job. That's not your, you're not called to that. But He sees. He sees when you're slighted, when you're reproached, when you're ill-used, when your things are taken and for His sake. Oh yes, He sees. How has known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine adversaries are all before thee. Reproach hath broken my heart. There's a physical limit of what you and I and our bodies and our mental state that we can take. We can get broken. Lord, I'm full of heaviness. Reproach hath broken my heart. I'm discouraged. I'm full of heaviness. I looked for some to take pity. That's looking for some person. right? You got that lines of people along that river. Somebody take pity. Somebody throw me the lifeline. Something. right? Draw me out. And there was none. There was none. I looked for comforters, and there was none. You know, my, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, what they do? They gave me gall for my meat. Gall is basically poison. Okay? I'm hungry, here's poison. I'm thirsty, you know, my, my throat is burning, what do they give me? They give you vinegar. Right? You ever try to just drink vinegar? Kids enjoy it in large doses, but just taking a drink a glass of it, it don't go so well. Right? It's basically sour wine. That's what vinegar was. This is the worst possible things that you could receive to eat and drink when you're hungry and you are thirsty. 
And that's what his enemies are returning. There's no comfort. There's no pity in the world. Let their table become a snare unto them, and that which have should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. So they're eating and drinking and high on the hog. He says, let that be a snare. That which should have been for their good, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not and make their loins continually to shake. There's been several times where the Lord has used blindness to deliver His people and done it against His enemies. Right, uh, Lot, when the angels were there, they blinded that whole town as they're breaking down the door to commit villainy. There's another time when there was a prophet um, who blinded a whole band of people and carried it to his king. The Lord can use that. To darken their eyes and make their loins shake. You can take and melt the fear of these wicked enemies. You can make them be full of fear and melt their hearts. Right? That was what happened in Jericho. They said, we heard you were coming and our hearts didn't melt within us and there was no strength left or courage left. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not and make their loins continually to shake. Pour out thine indignation upon them and let thy wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents. For they persecute him whom thou hast smitten and they talk grief of those whom thou hast wounded. So the Lord will chasten us. He can smite us. He can wound us. And when that happens, these are the ones who are like, yeah, good. Look what the Lord's doing to you, right? Where was he? That's what happened with with Edom, right? That nation to the south, the descendants of Esau, when Israel's going into captivity, Jews going into captivity, they're like, yeah! (laughs) They're standing in the gates. Hey, hey, Babylonians, you missed one! Wait, here. Chunk them back in as they're trying to escape, right? And they're going and raiding Jerusalem, right? Being joyful that the Lord's people are suffering for their disobedience, right? They persecute them who thou hast smitten. And they talk grief to them, talk to the grief of those whom thou hast wounded. Add iniquity unto their iniquity. So they're already already got all this iniquity against us. He said, Continue the tally mark, Lord, don't forget it. You see what they're doing. And let them not come into thy righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Lord, take them away. Take away these enemies. Kill them. But and be not written with the righteous. But I am poor and sorrowful. Let thy salvation, O Lord, set me up on high. Pull me out of this muck, this mire, the overwhelming waters where there's no man who can comfort me. Pull me out and set me on high. Put my feet on higher ground. You ever sung that song, right? That's where we're being pulled out of. You're being pulled out of the muck and mire and the desperation and the endlessness that is sin. And you're being pulled out of that. To a higher ground. You're being put on a rock. Right? We're talking about that rock that will be cleft open and, and put you inside of that rock of ages. That's Jesus Christ. He's the rock. Okay? I'm poor. I'm sorrowful. Let thy salvation, not me, not because I'm so good, because I've got this strength, I can pull myself out of the water. No. I'm poor and sorrowful. Let thy salvation set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify Him with thanksgiving. Lord, Notice he's already ready to praise. His prayer hadn't been answered yet. He's still praying, Oh God, save me. I will praise the name of God with a song and magnify Him with thanksgiving. I'm ready to praise for how you're going to deliver me. This also shall please the Lord 
better than an ox or a bullock that hath horns and hoofs. Right? The Lord is more pleased with those sacrifices of your face where you're praising Him and you're thanking Him and you're glorifying Him for what He is and who He is and what He's done than all those animal sacrifices of the whole Old Testament. This is a time when that was still being done. That was important to obey that. But it says here that the praises to God from you and from your heart are better than the ox, anything with horns and hoofs, right? And the ox and the bullock, those are the big sacrifices. Those are the ones the princes and the priests and the wealthy would do. You know, poor folk, you got some turtle doves or whatever, you're trying to just kind of get by what you can afford. These are the, the big ones, right? It says it's better than that. The humble shall see this and be glad, and your heart shall live that seek the Lord. He's saying there's going to be effect on those around me when they see what you do to deliver me out of this. It's going to be an encouragement to the people. That's the humble. That's a description for the Lord's people, right? They're the poor. They're the lowly. The humble. Lord, I'm praising you in advance and I'm going to praise you more when you do it and it's going to be an encouragement to those around me, those who seek you. That, you know, Let them not be ashamed, but rather let them be glad. Let the humble see this deliverance and be glad. And your heart shall live that seek the Lord. Your heart is talking to you. Your heart shall live that seek the Lord. You will be encouraged and enlivened. Your eyes will be just brighter. Right? When we saw what the Lord did with Sister Lori, pulling her out of spite, but there was no man who could help. Their physical help. There was, there was no man. Did that encourage you? Did that remind you of how powerful your God is? Was it miserable for her to go through? Yes! And he gets his glory. And he uses it for his kingdom and for his people. For the Lord heareth the poor and despiseth not his prisoners. You ever feel like you're trapped? You're in prison? Guess what? You're still his prisoners. And He hears you. He hears your cries. Don't quit crying out to Him. Often we kind of make that the last resort. Well, I'm going to try this, 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 and this, and this, and this. And then if all that don't work, then I will go ask the Lord if He can do something about this. Right? Cry out to Him first and continue to cry out. Is it okay to try and address problems as you know how to do it? Yeah, okay. But pray for wisdom and be seeking Him the whole time. He can send you a very different direction. Or he may choose to allow you to continue to go through it. That's his prerogative. But Lord, it's often good for us to continue to cry out to him. He's been crying out so long, his eyes are tired of crying, and his throat's just burning. Cry out to the Lord. The Lord heareth the poor and despiseth not his prisoners. Let the heaven and the earth Praise Him. The seas and everything that moveth therein. Praise Him. Heaven, earth, seas, and everything within it. Right? You have just described, in short summary, the entire universe. Right? There's nothing missed. All the way to the heavens, the earth, the seas, everything in it. They will praise Him, should praise Him. Let them praise Him. Why? For God will save Zion... And build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and have it in possession. 
The seed also of his servants shall inherit it, and they that love his name shall dwell therein. The Lord is going to save his people. His bride is also described as New Jerusalem or Zion. He's talking about he's talking about heaven here. The only ones that are going to inherit it are those that he has redeemed, that he has pulled out, they've chosen those. Those are going to be the ones that love his name. What's, what's so great about heaven? It's that God is there and you're with him. Right? It's like church, only way better. It's not stuff. Right? This is not you won the, the lotto and now you've got to design your mansion and your portion and your whatever, all the, the trappings that we kind of get wrapped up in this world and we try to put that on heaven. I mean, those terms are describing how great and glorious it is, but the glory there is the glory of the Lord and that you are there with Him and that He has made you worthy to be there. Right? He has made you His son and His daughter. He's adopted you into His family and you get to be there with Him. He has prepared a place for you. All right. That's our first pass through. Crying out for our Lord when we are struggling and the afflictions of this world and we're just so distressed and overwhelmed. Crying out constantly asking Him to draw near, to deliver you, to allow your enemies to be frustrated. And Lord, letting... All those benefits come up of the Lord. I know that when you deliver me, I'm going to be so gracious, so ready to praise, praise, and I should be praising in advance, right? And the good things of how it will encourage your people. Lord, don't let me be ashamed. Now, that's kind of first layer in this song. Second layer is that there are multiple illusions and prophecies that specifically point to Christ. We may not get through them all. I'm going to try to take them, rather than in order of how they appear in the psalm, take them in a chronological order of how they appear in Christ's life. So if you jump down to verse 9, talking about the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. That first clause, for the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. You go to John chapter 2. This is going to be a description of what Jesus um, would fulfill as He is so passionate about the temple there and His Father's house and what His Father had established there and how corrupted it had become. Right? It became not only just a place of commerce, it's that religion became merchandise. Okay, That going within the temple, you know, you're supposed to have these sacrifices and these things um, in order to fulfill your obligation under the law. Well, to make it convenient, and shrewd businessmen, right, had set up stalls inside the temple. Oh, you need two turtle doves. Well, look, we've got turtle doves. Oh, you've got foreign money. Well, here's a money changer over here. You go get your money changed into current money, and you come pay me, and you go take your turtle doves. And so we've got a bazaar, a marketplace within the temple so you can go do religion, Right? And Jesus comes on the scene. This is John chapter 2 down in verse 13. The Jews uh, passed over his hand. He went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. All right. Do you imagine you got to have a little bit of room to have oxen? 
It's, it's one thing, thing about, okay, little bird cages. Well, then maybe just have that in the portico or something. It's not real big. No, you got to have oxen that are being sold and sheep and doves and the changers of money. And these are just stalls ready, right? Now, they may have had more inventory outside, but I imagine it was all pretty convenient, right? Right there. That's kind of a mess, right? As they're keeping their inventory there and they're literally stinking up the place. I mean, I understand the animals come in on their way to be sacrificed, but we're talking about turning the Lord's house into a barn and a meat market, right? And he's upset. Lord was, Jesus was passionately angry. You can get angry and sin not. It's possible. Jesus never sinned, and so he knew how to do it very well. When I get angry, I tend to not know how to do it very well. And i got to remember that verse that the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. All right? I'm more likely to make a mistake and start sinning when I'm angry. But he is zealously righteous for the Lord's glory and the Lord's honor. And when he found these things, he found the temple, they that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, you know what a scourge is? That would be a whip. He got some cords, he braided it, and he goes and he starts whacking the animals to drive them out of the temple. He drove them all out of the temple, the sheep and the oxen. Yeah, so they were literally there. It wasn't just the, the representatives of the sheep standing there. No, it was the sheep and the oxen. Right? These are big animals. He drove them out and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. And he said unto them, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Hundreds of years earlier, one half of one clause of a verse it's fulfilled here perfectly and in the right time Jesus fulfilled everything that was written about him. And his father made sure it was written just the right way. Right? It's the inspired word of God. And he fulfilled it perfectly. So here, the zeal of his house, that, that psalmist, yeah, that's, that's talking about the individual there, the psalmist there, but this is also talking about Jesus Christ. And he had a zeal for his father's house. Right? And he was not going to allow his father's house to remain desecrated and defiled. The zeal of his father's house hath eaten him up. Okay? Let's go down to verse 25 of Psalm 69. It says, Let their habitation be desolate, and let none dwell in their tents. It's verse 25 of Psalm 69. And that's going to show up in Matthew 23. So we're after the initial cleansing of the temple... Matthew 23. Jesus is speaking. Down in verse, let's pick up in 37. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how oft I would have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. 
He is upbraiding these religious leaders, these, those who, who, who don't believe Him. And He's telling them, and speaking to Jerusalem, the city, that their, their house, that temple, their role, it's going to be taken away. Right? The temple would physically stand for a few more years after Jesus' uh, crucifixion and resurrection, but ultimately it would be destroyed. That house would be made desolate. And the Lord has ensured that for the next 2,000 years, and to this day, it has not been permitted to be rebuilt. Okay? There's a construction project that people would really like to engage in, and they cannot override God's divine will. That house has been left desolate. That's the, the fulfillment there. Talking about the enemies. Those that, and what would those enemies do to Christ? There's the one with their wicked hands. They would crucify Him. Thinking that they're serving God. Isn't that ironic? Killing the very Lord of glory, their Creator, their Master, and not recognizing it. And thinking, we're doing the right thing. We're going to preserve our nation and our status and this was what the psalmist here is, is crying out to be done unto his enemies. These are the enemies of Jesus Christ, enemies of the cross. Let their habitation be desolate. Let their habitation be desolate. Their dwelling place, let it be wiped out. Okay? Let's go back to verse 4. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. That will show up in the book of John in verse... 15. John 15. Context. Jesus is already... We're, we're three years down the road. We've already had the Last Supper. He's washed the, the disciples' feet. He's kind of given them their final talk, their final message before He goes to be arrested. And so in the middle of verse uh, chapter 15, let's just start reading about... Let's just start reading in 16. Ye have not chosen Me... What? Doesn't the world teach the exact opposite? You have not chosen me, but I chose you. I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you that ye love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Right? Don't feel like you're something special. Lord, they're being so mean to me. Yeah, they hated the Lord first. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you because, because the world would love his own. But ye are not of the world. I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore the world hateth you. When you are born again, you are created a new creature. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. You are, in a sense, taken out of the world. There is something spiritual within you that does not exist in the world in general. And they hate it. Okay? I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. This is Jesus talking. If you don't believe me, this is Jesus. Trust His words. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. He said that's the two reactions. Either hate and persecution, and there's a whole spectrum on what that looks like. But if they're going to keep the words that I say and they'll follow those, they'll follow yours too. Right? It's something different within the internal. Right? There is the Holy Spirit dwelling within, or there's not. Okay? Those are the two reactions. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, 
because they know not Him that sent me. Who sent Him? The Father. They don't know Him, even if they claim to. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. Now, they had sin, but it hadn't been just plainly manifested that it was there. Now they have no no cloak for their sin. It was, it was hidden. He that hateth me hateth my Father also. If I had not done among them works, which none other man did, they had not had sin, but now they have both seen and hated both me and my Father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. So why'd you read all that, Brother Jonathan? Because that's what he's talking about. That enmity, that animosity, that hatred... The Lord knew that was going to happen. That when He came into the world, they were going to hate Him without a cause. Had He done anything wrong to them? Not a thing! But by His existence and the life that He did, their sins were made plain. And they hated it. And they hated His Father. Okay? They hated me without a cause. Now here's some encouragement for you. It doesn't go with our text. But when... The Comforter is come, who I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of the truth, which proceedeth from the Father. He shall testify of me. Right, here's your free nugget. Folks get really, some folks start chasing the Holy Spirit. Right? Holy Spirit is God. It's wonderful. It's perfect. But what does the Holy Spirit testify of? Jesus Christ. That's who He's going to point you to. It's not Holy Spirit for Holy Spirit's sake. It's always back to Jesus. He's the name that's been given higher than every name. Okay? He is a comforter, the spirit of truth, and ye also shall bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning. Okay? So there's going to be hard times. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to send you the comforter, and he's going to point you back to me and give you the truth from his word. Okay? They hated me without a cause. All right? Down in verse 29, uh, no, 21 of Psalm 69. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. They gave me gall for my meat, and in, in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Go to Matthew 27. You see this fulfilled, you know, just a few hours later after he's speaking to the disciples there. A few hours later he's been arrested. In the morning he has these false trials, you know, one here at the, the high priest's house, then you go down to Pilate, and Pilate says, that's out of my jurisdiction. You go over there to Herod. Herod doesn't get any satisfaction out of him. They make fun of him there. They send him back to Pilate. Pilate can't figure out a way to get out of it. Finally, he says, I wash my hands of it. Let his blood be upon your hands. They lead him up to Calvary. Calvary sounds like a great word. It means the place of a skull. It means Golgotha. That's probably a better word in our vernacular. Calvary is not a beautiful thing. What Christ did was wonderful and noble, but that is a hateful place. That is an awful place that took your Savior and nailed Him to a tree. That is not something I want to worship. Right? I worship Jesus Christ. Amen. Dead, resurrected, reigning today. I don't worship the cross either. Right? I don't even like the symbol of it. That's an instrument of torture for my Lord. Matthew 27. Get the right chapter. In verse, let's, let's pick up in verse 33. They were coming to the place called Golgotha. That is to say, a place of a skull. 
And they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. You've got that, that spoiled wine mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. They crucified him, parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vestures did they did cast lots. There were pieces of his garments they could individually take, and then there was a coat that, had a, uh, that didn't have a seam, and they said, rather than tear it, we'll just cast, see who, you know, Cast dice or however they did it to see who would win that. Right? That, was, that was a fulfillment of a prophecy. And so he's hanging there, naked, exposed to the world. And sitting down, they watched him there and said over his head his accusation, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. You said you could take down the temple and raise it back up in three days. It took years to build that temple. Now he was talking of his body. And would he do that? Would he tear down that temple and raise it again in three days? He absolutely would when he came out of that grave. But they're mocking him, saying, If you could do that, we haven't seen you do it, but if you could do that, well, save yourself. Shouldn't be too hard for you. And if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and the elders. You see this picture from Psalm 69 as you've got this terrible scene of affliction and you've got all those that hate him without cause are on side mocking him and laughing. Just come on down. Save yourself. You're going to die, right? You claim to be something great. And we hate you. He saved others. Himself he cannot save, right? There's all these miracles he performed. Delivered those who were dead back to life and, and healed and restored body parts and wounds and he save himself. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we'll believe him. Would they? Would they have believed him? No. All the works that he had done before, they didn't believe those. They ain't the ones who spoke of him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver himself now. And if he, if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the thieves also which were crucified wisdom with him, cast the same in their teeth. I mean, how much worse can you get? These guys are in the same spot. They're nailed there. They're struggling to breathe. I mean, the whole process is about inability to breathe. As long as you can hoot yourself up, you can get one more breath. But your weight is everything pulling you down. and It's a death of asphyxiation. Lack of oxygen. And they're using it to make fun of him. And now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land. So for three hours, it goes dark. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. It translates it says, My God! My God! Why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood there, when he heard that, they said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it him to drink. And the rest said, Let it be. Let him see whether Elias will come and save him. And Jesus, when he cried with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. No man took it from him. He laid it down. You know what he yelled? 
It's finished. And behold, the veil in the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept, they were already dead, they arose, and they came out of the graves after His resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. That veil in that temple, that house is going to be left different. That veil was the separation between man and God. We could not approach unto Him. And it took Him coming down and offering Himself and taking your sins upon you so that the relationship that the Father had with the Son that was so special and so unique and has been from everlasting to everlasting had a time where the Father, where the Son felt like the Father had forsaken Him because your sins have been laid upon Him. And so rather than crying, Father, He cries, My God! My God! And how do they respond? There's thirst. Give him this vinegar mingled with gall. Come back to verse 25. There's another reference chronology where that let their habitation be desolate appears. And that is after Jesus has come up out of the grave. He has been with and seen among many for 40 days. He is now ascended. And now you're at this New Testament church. These apostles who've been with their Lord, following Him around for three-something years, had Him to tell them what to do. Now they got to go. And so one of the first things they do there in Acts chapter 1 is they realize that the Lord chose 12 apostles, 12 special eyewitnesses that had been with Him from the beginning, that saw the miracles that He did. They saw His death. They saw His resurrected form. They saw Him alive. There needed to be a twelfth added back because one had fallen. That fallen was Judas. He was the one who betrayed Him. So in Acts chapter 1, down in verse... Let's just say... Uh, let's just start in verse 15 so you get the whole scene. All right, so they had continued in Jerusalem. They're in prayer and fasting. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst. And the number together was about 120. So your early New Testament church, there was about 120 there together. Say, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was a guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered unto us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with a reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. All right, so what is that talking about? So Judas, after he had sold him, saw that Jesus was going to be condemned. I don't know what he thought was going to happen. Somehow being condemned was like, oh, well, I've messed up. Yeah, you have. And he tried to give the money back, and they wouldn't take it. And so he went off, and he hung himself. And that's how he expired, and the priest took that money and said, we can't put this into the treasury because it's the price of blood, so we'll go over here and we'll buy this field from the potter fellow, and we'll use that to bury strangers. Okay, So it's talking about here, he's purchased that field with a reward of his iniquity, his sin, that 30 pieces of silver. silver falling headlong, he's uh, in asunder the midst, all his bowels gushed out. He's dead, he's killed himself. As it is known to the dwellers of Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Aseldama, and that term means the field of blood. 
So if you were a pauper, you were a stranger, and you died in Jerusalem, and you didn't have a place to be buried, no kin folks to, pl- no kin folks to play for a place, pay for a place, they go bury you in a cell them up. Was that a real nice graveyard? No, it's called the field of blood, right? They knew what the origin was of how that came to be. For it is written in the book of Psalms, right? He's talking about earlier that which is written by the mouth of David. Something had to be happened to fulfill it. Let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein. Read that verse 25. Let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents. Talking about Judas here. And his bishopric let another take. His role, his specially appointed designation as apostle, let another one take. Um, Wherefore, these men which have accompanied with us from all the time which the Lord Jesus went up and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, under the same that he was taken up, let one of them be ordained to be witness of us of his resurrection. What's a key qualification to be an apostle? You are witness of the resurrected Christ. And they pointed to, and they went out casting lots and said, Lord, show us which one um, to replace Judas. And it turned out to be Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. We don't hear anything else about Matthias, but he was fulfilling this scripture. If that habitation that was from Judas' spot, where he fell, it's going to be filled by another man. It was Matthias. All right. Finally, back in verse 9 and the second clause. So the first we looked at, For the zeal of that house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. Let's go to uh, Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. To jump into context, in in chapter 14 of Romans, it is dealing with how are you considerate of your brothers and sisters and those that have convictions because they don't know as much as you know yet. Okay, There's a range among us of what we know and where we're convicted about and people who think, well, this has got to be wrong. And even if you know over here that, well, no, it's not. And the context here, I believe, was... Um, meats and drinks, what, what, what it is to, to eat and drink, and often it's talking in terms of eating unto idols, right? If you know that an idol is nothing, well, eating food that's offered unto it, you know that's nothing. But if you don't know that that idol is nothing, you think that's wrong, then if I see this brother over here who's doing it, and he's doing it, it's okay, even though I think it's wrong. He's leading me in the wrong way. Right? So it's about being considerate of those who are in a different place. Showing grace and showing true leadership, not just, I've got knowledge so I can, I can do what I want. All right. So, um, so it comes in to verse, uh, chapter 15 and verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Well, I know that it's okay for me to do this. I know that's going to cause a hardship over here. This is going to please me. That's not our attitude. Bear with the infirmities of the weak. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. This is being considerate of your brothers and sisters. What will I do that is most beneficial to the church and those around me and us all growing together, not creating stumbling blocks? Verse 13. For even Christ please not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. 
For whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. That verse 4 tells you, why do we continue to study the Old Testament? Well, Jesus came. That's all I need to know. Well, Jesus was being talked about throughout the Old Testament as we learn more about it. We learn that it's written for our patience and comfort. Right? We're learning about those things. Those things that were written aforetime, they're written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. It's one thing to just know about the, the acts that Jesus physically performed while He was here in the world. Right? That's, that's good to know. Know that. But what a more beautiful picture of knowing that it didn't start then. It started so, so long ago. Before God even made the world. And then throughout His Scriptures, He's pointing to what He was going to do. And He's going to do this. And He's going to do this. And He's going to do this. And it's going to be great. And they couldn't see it. Right? They wanted to. They wanted to know. And you've been blessed to learn more about how long this has been going on. And what Christ is fulfilling. He came and He bore reproaches of them that reproached thee. They fell on me. There were reproaches... For the Father's sake that fell on our Lord. Right? He bore it. And he who was stronger bore all the reproaches for us. We couldn't bear any of it. We couldn't carry it away. That's the pattern, right? We look at the pattern of Jesus. What did he do? He is the stronger one, bore it for us as the weaker. Right? We had nothing to contribute there. And so should we bear and be long-suffering with our brothers and sisters even though they may be earlier in their walk, younger in our maturity? I mean, you can be old and still be a spiritual babe, right? And so yeah, yes, right? This is an inordinate amount of grace that has been shown to us in our life and really on a daily basis. We ought to show that to one another over and over and over again. What things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Should we be learning? Yes! Are you going to learn very much if you only come and sit and listen to me once or twice a week? No, you won't. The Comforter, that Spirit of Truth, He's your primary teacher. And as you're in the Word and reading, He'll reveal things to you. And as you're growing and gleaning and looking at the patterns of the Word, you'll grow and you'll learn. And from that, through patience... And comfort, you'll have more hope. Full assurance. Not that wishy kind of hope. I sure wish that something good would happen. No, that, that full expectation of seeing what depth of foundation this is. This is not a, a ad hoc, just fly of the moment plan that happened. This is something that God, the infinite God, whose ways and hires are so much higher, his ways and thoughts are so much higher than ours, has crafted beautifully. And you're a part of it. He did it with you in mind. That should blow your mind. So will the waves and mire get to us at time? Yeah, they will. But do you have a God who loves you and hears you and His good time? He'll deliver you in the way that He sees fit even if that is to deliver you from this world. Right? That's what the three Hebrew children, right? They, they wouldn't bow down to the idol. 
Babylon, uh, Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar put up a huge old gold idol himself. He says, y'all worship that. And all the political folks got together and they were sure, except for the three presidents who had been appointed uh, over large sections of land because of what a faithful servant Daniel was. Like, no, we can't do that. Well, if you don't do that, we're going to chunk you into the fire. You're disobeying orders. Said, Our God is able to deliver us out of your hand, O king. And the implications there is he can choose to deliver me out of that particular fire or he can deliver me out of your hand in whatever way he sees fit. Even if I die, you cannot destroy me. that makes sense? Jesus told you to not to fear those who can only kill the body because that's all they can do, right? True fear is to fear God who can kill the body and cast the soul into hell, right? That's, that's real power. So you may be going through a trial and it may be that you're delivered from it by being taken out of this world. And part of this, that, that's, that's scary. Part of us thinks that's unpleasant. But you know the part that's thinking that? That's your old man. That's your carnal nature. Because your spiritual nature says, well, to be absent from the body is where? To be present with the Lord. Is that infinitely better? Lord, cure me from cancer. Uh, when you're present from the Lord, present with the Lord, you are cured from cancer. Right? Lord, take away this whatever it is. When you're with Him, it's gone. Can the Lord bless us in a multitude of ways while we're still alive? Yes. But He can also graduate us. Not because we earned the credits. Because in His good time, He's going to deliver you. Do you have to be afraid of your enemies? No. I'm not saying you have to be joyful they exist. It, it can be miserable. But what a different mindset of thinking, I'm in this river. I'm sinking down. I'm overwhelmed. They're all mocking you, laughing and waiting for me to destroy it, And there is no hope. That's a sad state. Y'all not only have a wish of deliverance, you have a firm assurance. It's just a matter of when and in what manner. But the Lord hears you. He knows you. This is not a surprise to Him. He's got you. Depend on Him. And in the meantime, continue to call out to Him. Continue to praise Him, not only for what He's done, but what He's going to do for His name and for His glory. Now don't make demands upon him. That name it and claim it garbage. God, if I say this, then you have to do it. No. You're in charge. And I'm not. So Lord, let me be submissive to your will and whatever you design is best, that's what I want. Because <laughs> guess what? You know a lot better than what I want. Right? If we had our ability to just make all the decisions in our life without limited by means or time or anything like that, we would make a mess of our life so quick. But he knows what's best. And we're going to trust him. And that's what I advise and recommend and strengthen. So think about Psalm 69 this week. Think about it both as you in those shoes, as you're crying out to God in affliction, but also think about it how each of these times we got 9, 25, 4, 21, 25, 9, another one. All of these references are to who? To Jesus! <laughs> right? And in the midst of your affliction, who should you be directing to? To Jesus. 
Not only is his right hand sitting on the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf in your prayers, but what his completed work is. Remember him, remember him, remember him. Can I advise you? Remember him! You want to have a good perspective this week? Focus on your Lord. You want to have a sorry perspective? Focus on the storm. Focus on the problems. Focus on the river and the mire. That'll get you discouraged. Here's the reality He won! And he said, you're coming with me. That's who we serve. Thank you. Thank you. Time and attention. Daddy. Yes, sir.